And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, March 10th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still cranking out the big, big savings down at MyPillow. If you want the MyPillow version 2.0, looking for a new MyPillow dog bed, you want the Air Lindells, the My Slippers, and Giza Dream everything, you're going to want to enter stake at checkout and experience the largest savings that Mike Lindell can legally give you. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 25% off your total order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, are relieved that Raheem really likes his pair, oh. get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome to Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 220. I'm Roan. Noah's out of the office today, but Alan Jacoby's going to be in the guest host. Guys, we've got a great show. Heritage Foundation policy expert Jake Denton's going to be here. We're going to sit down with the New York Young Republicans Club president, Gavin Wax, to talk about everything community-related and a little bit of Donald Trump and Jim Nels supply chain expert, big time contributor on Steak for Breakfast is going to be joining us as well. But before we get into any of that, happy Friday and let's jump right into the news. I should also tell you that Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, was joined in this outrage by the Senate Minority Leader, and that would be a Republican, Mitch McConnell. And they were joined by a cascade of other Republicans, Tom Tillis from North Carolina, Mitt Romney from Utah, all sharing the same outrage. And from this, we learn two things. One, you're getting close to what they really care about. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it so important that they would degrade themselves by telling such obvious lies and calling for censorship? Why? What are they trying to protect? That might be worth exploring 
and we plan to. And the second thing that we learned from this is that they're on the same side. The Senate Majority Leader joins the Senate Minority Leader. Tom Tillis, Mitt Romney. <laughs> they're all on the same side. So it's actually not about left and right. It's not about Republican and Democrat. Here you have people with shared interests. The open borders people. The people, <laughs> the people like Mitch McConnell who are living in splendor on Chinese money. The people who underneath it all have everything in common are all aligned against everyone else. And that would include almost all news organizations in this country as well. And so if you're watching this, it might be kind of interesting to keep a list. Because one thing we learned today is that they're all in agreement with each other. They kind of outed themselves. They sort of showed their membership cards and whatever club this is to the public. So keep a list. If you want to know who's actually aligned, despite the illusion of partisanship, we found out today. And that was Tucker Carlson reacting to the congressional response from his shows that began to outline the uh, other side of the coin in regards to the narrative of what happened on January 6th. And this is Steak for Breakfast. Guys, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. As advertised, the host of the Great Divide podcast and CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company, Alan Jacoby, is in for Noah today. Alan, welcome back. Happy Friday. What's going on, everybody? Happy to be here. And we're happy to host you. We've got a great show coming up. As I've already mentioned, the New York Young Republican Club president, Gavin Wax, is going to be jumping in with us in just a few minutes. We'll have Jim Nels a little later in the show. And then Jake Denton, who's a policy expert down at the Heritage Foundation, jumping in for the back end segment. So, Alan, I know you, you saw this and, and we've talked offline uh, over the course of the last week on what's going on with Tucker and his uh, release. I know I, I've listened to your podcast in the last day or so and, and you don't think he's possibly doing enough or, or, or you just like to see a one big transparent blob release of all the tapes, which Kevin McCarthy kind of retouched on this week saying that we are going to get there, but right now we're kind of slow dripping it for the public, kind of reshaping the narrative of what the Democrats have done a, such a good job of doing over the course of the last two years now. You, you saw the Senate response the other day. Uh, we actually played it at the end of the show. Uh, what, do, what do you think when you, when you see people like Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer not only take time on the Senate floor to downgrade or kind of smear Tucker Carlson, but then come out and field questions on the press directly related to this narrative? Listen, I, I think what Tucker Carlson did was great. I want to see more of it. Uh, yesterday on my show, I played the Breitbart interview uh, last night with um, – uh, Kevin McCarthy talking yep. about, you know, he was confronted. Will he release it to the public? He did say yes, but it will take time, obviously, and probably more time than we want it to take. Um, listen, McConnell, Schumer, they're, they're all cut from the same cloth, okay? You have evil Democrats, you have rhinos, and they're all in on it. They were in on the deception of January 6th, yeah. government involvement, the January 6th committee, I mean, don't let we can't allow them to 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 feed us this big line of of BS. They're in it, and in it means the destruction of MAGA, hence the destruction of Trump, hence the destruction of America First. Because I always say, I was in, in the going into the midterm election that these Ma uh, uh, Rhino Republicans are terrified of 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 having America First candidates get elected because then they will lose the majority in the party, lose all control, be exposed. I mean, you look at those vile beasts on the view, like Whoopi the Hutt, I like to call her. They want to investigate, have the DOJ investigate 
people even calling for the arrest and firing of Tucker Carlson for radicalizing and recruiting domestic terrorists. I mean, this is the sickness that we're dealing with because what is more truthful than actually seeing it on video unfold everything that's gone on? And I don't even think, Ron, we have uh, scratched the surface. No, neither do I. And, and you know, there, there's so much honestly, disinformation that's coming out regarding, you know, both sides of the story on January 6th. I really do feel like eventually we're going to see, much like we did with the Twitter files that's also been hot up on Capitol Hill this week, the government's longstanding relationship with big tech and the elitist way that they operate in the sense that, like, number one, nothing can hurt them. And number two, nothing's ever going to come out and uh, kind of reveal the way that they conduct themselves. You know, everything from stock trading to how this was kind of an inside job to make Donald Trump look bad on January 6th is what they don't want to come out to the American public, like actual receipts as we're seeing with like, you know, COVID and the Hunter Biden laptop and all those things that we've seen released through the Twitter files already. I just, I, I, it, it's so mind-boggling to me. And, and, and you know, you, you do want to reestablish it every time you talk about it. There were some bad things that happened on January 6th. We don't disregard that at all. People assaulted right. police officers. There was property destruction. There was stuff stolen from the Capitol. Uh, but, you know, when you're talking anywhere from like 500,000 to a million people in Washington, D.C. on that day, and, you know, there's so far been like, I believe, 160-ish reports of police being assaulted and only 52 convictions out of all those people. It's like the same thing when you talk about how nationally uh, normalized people are trying to make like the trans movement. And, you know, sure. that whole population only counts for, you know, there's close to 340 million people in the United States right now, give or take a couple million illegals. And, you know, they identify or register as 0.06% of the entire population. But, you know, it's right. on every street corner. It's on every television show. It's on every Netflix series. And they kind of want you to think like this, normalcy is the way things are the same thing that they've done with January 6th. We talk about it too. Anytime you see it on any major news network besides probably Fox news and Newsmax, or talked about on podcasts like this one, people pushing on bike racks, people pushing on police, the one or two people that were breaking the windows right at the door of the Capitol before the police officers opened the doors. And, uh, they kind of spun that into that is all that happened that day. And, 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 you know, Tucker's slow drip of this kind of for the normies to become familiarized of like, Hey guys, guess what? You know, you've seen so much bad stuff about this. Let's show you from start to finish what this supposed air quoting now, bad stuff is really about. Right. I, I think one of the biggest uh, players in this whole thing on all ends, because he's got his puppet strings into all the DC judges as well is current U S attorney general, Merrick Garland. He actually went out this weekend and rehashed comments that as many as five police officers died on January 6th at the Capitol. <laughs> Tucker touched on that right after he got done hammering McConnell and Schumer. Let's hear him. Five officers died on that day. Now, that's just not some guy on Twitter. That's the Attorney General of the United States. That's a man whose honesty is central to his job. If he had a choice between IQ and integrity in an attorney general, of course you would go with integrity because it's essential. Yeah. But Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, is a liar. He just lied about something that is provably false. Who are these five officers who were, quote, killed that day? Notice he didn't tell you. No one ever tells you. No one ever shows you their autopsies. They don't want any detail. They just want the slogan. 
And that's that's pretty much it right there. They just want to be able to see people who casually follow the news, who yep. occasionally look at a headline, no one who clicks on anything other than, you know, CNN or MSNBC, CBS.com, uh, even the Drudge Report now. And, you know, you, you see that you see the article somewhere. Garland pushes back, talks about five officers who died related to the Capitol riots. Now, now what the, most of the people don't know is the five people that they're talking about obviously is the one that everybody knows, Brian Sicknick, the, the yeah. one who died of a stroke, I believe, within 48 hours of, of you know what happened on January 6th. And then there's been four officers who were either still with or had uh, recently had separated from the Capitol Police who committed suicide uh, in the wake of the event. But there's no logistical ties to what happened that day led to the right. eventual choices that those people made to take their own lives. But you'll how have- do you say, how do you say that? Like, like you just said, Ron, you said four, four police officers committed suicide. Right. One, Brian Sicknick. Uh, yeah, it was four, 48 or 72 hours later. He visited with his brother, the whole thing. You see him on video. He died of a stroke. Apparently he had some sort of history yep. and everybody acknowledged it. Sorry, those five police officers, nobody was killed on January 6th. And here we have the most senior law enforcement officer, Merrick Garland, the attorney general of the United States, lying. And then it's great. I go back to the view with Whoopi Goldberg, how they, well, you know, when when they were talking about the First Amendment and Tucker Carlson, and they said, well, lying isn't uh, protected by the First Amendment. That's what Whoopi Goldberg said. Now, will she call out Merrick Garland for, of course not, for saying, you know, that five officers were killed that day even saying that they was related to the capital there is no correlation or 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 anything else that shows that those five deaths are related to what happened on january 6th then again it just it, it is what it is it's lying and this is what our government's going to do continue to do with the left leaning media and just shove it down our throat because now they're in a panic and it's all damage control. And no, it certainly is. And, and you know, you, you want to talk about just other things related to the government and how people mis miscue the numbers. You'll you'll have Alejandro Mayorkas come out and say that the border is operationally secure and under control, and, and how great the workforce is there. Meanwhile, I think we're at like twenty three or twenty four in the last calendar years. Uh, Border Patrol agents have committed suicide. Uh, I, I know there was at least three from one station in the Rio Grande Valley just in the last calendar year as well. That number one, nobody talks about, and number two, why can't you tie that directly to the crisis that the Biden administration has, you know, January sixth did on the border? Hundred percent, hundred percent. It should be the Biden. So then we should turn around, Ron, and say that Biden's border policy is directly related to every border patrol agent who took their own life because of stress of the job dealing with this unsecure border. Yep. And there you go. The border killed all those border patrol agents, which, which not is couldn't be further from the truth. But the <laughs> fact of the matter is, is that when you say it like that, it's pretty much, you know, a, a direct reference to the same things that, that yep. Merrick Garland is spewing out. One thing that I want to spew out with before we continue on here is where to follow steak for breakfast. If you're on Twitter, get her true social or Instagram steak for breakfast podcast, do the search, hit the notification bell. We're always, uploading great content there if it's not memes it's links to our show it's links to our Substack, it's links to our sponsors you want to be dialed in there and wherever you're listening to us today whether it's on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, go to the main page click on the link subscribe to the show rate it five stars hopefully and then leave a review tell us what you think about the show what we could do to make things better guests that you'd like to see and we're going to do everything in our power to bring that there also if you want to email steak for breakfast podcast it's steak for breakfast podcast at protonmail.com shoot us an email we'll read the best ones on the show 
Moving along here, I saw they had an expert panel on CNN yesterday night. Anderson Cooper hosted both Adam Schiff and Adam Kinzinger. And, uh, oh, my God, when you talk about the stuff that they're still saying on that network and the fact of the matter that they're a viewer or two away from literally getting that show canceled, I can't believe that they're still deciding to run with this. But they're, they're all in for January 6th in the narrative and stopping all things Donald Trump. So let's hear them kind of weigh in and uh, – just spat out absolute lies. Repetition uh, is such that, you know, people like Tucker Carlson, who know they're lying to the public, oh. can convince tens of millions of people of those lies. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I tell you, it's been really uh, illuminating to me about other periods of history where you had other liars use a powerful megaphone and convince millions that they can't believe what they've that's seen. Committee. Uh, and you wonder, how yeah. is that possible? And now we see how that's possible. Uh, when you have people who have no uh, no love of country, no oh. no patriotic fiber, oh. when it's just all about the money, oh. um, then this is what happens. And for Tucker Carlson, through his many iterations, yeah, yeah. man, Adam Schiff, um, man. Uh, oh you, my God! Did you just hear what he said? He just this is a guy who was on the January sixth committee, yep. who altered text evidence, yep. okay, who literally. Uh, spoke about the Ukrainian phone call and then said, oh, it, it was a joke. And then he says all about the money. This guy sat on the January 6th committee, exploited the event, exploited the committee, and wrote a book and selling a book about January 6th and how bad Donald Trump is all about the money. Is this really happening right now? I believe he said Trump has finished 178 times on TV appearances in the course of the last seven years. <laughs> the sad part and, and, and the harsh reality with Adam Schiff is, though, is that he's going to walk right to a Senate seat in California because yeah. he he is right up uh, our alley out here of what we want representing us in, in Congress. And it's going to be an absolute shame when that happens because of the current state of the nation out here in California. But that's neither here nor there. That's that. That's kind of you know what CNN's got going on in regards to this whole matter, which I think is absolute garbage. But what what can you say for for the I guess tens of thousands who still watch Anderson Cooper? <laughs> uh, you know th that's the kind of stuff that they're force feeding to them, and uh, you know. You, you didn't hear from Kinzinger because he was, I believe he was crying during that. Because, uh, oh, yeah. you know, they were talking about Donald Trump. And, and you know, it, it's just one of those things where you have to take into consideration just exactly what the, the plan is here. And, and, and we say it all the time. The regime media and the Democrat Party, the radical progressives, and everyone tied from the Obama administration into the Biden regime, they're going to project, reject, and deflect every mm -hmm. single thing that the Republicans try to hold them accountable for. We, we, you know, Ron, not, not, not to. I just want to jump in a second because we 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 didn't hear from Adam Kingsinger, the 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 little fella. Like he goes hashtag fella on on Twitter. He did speak some truth just uh, yesterday, actually. Believe it or not, surprisingly, where he was on the Situation Room. Hang on one sec. You said, you said he spoke truth. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> he spoke truth. I can't even believe it. And I had retweeted this because I've been saying this for months. And, uh, you know, I have to give a, a good job to the little fella, Adam Kinzinger, where he said, if indicted, Trump will gain popularity and it'll help him in the primary. Sure. And it is true because I have been saying he will tactfully use that indictment if and when it comes to his advantage because that's how smart he is. So I'm glad the little fella, Adam Kinzinger, who's crying in his sleeve, knows 
that that indictment, if it comes, is going to help Donald Trump. So we did speak a little truth there on Thursday. Someone else who was dropping truth bombs. And as we're getting ready to jump in with uh, New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax was current Speaker of the House, Republican Kevin McCarthy, in regards to what was going on. He, they hit him up coming out of his office the other day, and, and, and he had the answers for him on everything regarded to Tucker Carlson's J6 tape release. Let's hear it. That you gave Tucker Carlson last night. He went on and said this was a mostly peaceful chaos, as he said. He downplayed Brian Sicknick's death, said it was not related to January 6th, said this was not an True. insurrection. Do you regret giving him this footage so he could whitewash the events of that day? No, um, I, I said at the very beginning transparency. And so what I wanted to produce for everybody is exactly what I said, that people could actually look at it and see what's gone on that day. So. But why, for, so but why, Mr. Speaker, Look, each person can come up with their own conclusion, but I, what I just want to make sure is I had transparency. You because I know in CNN, I mean, I had here where you guys actually broke where we were. This was a secret location, Fort McLaren. I don't know if you got concerned by that. I don't even know from... Uh, point of view of security, if we could ever be taken there again. But when you broke that at CNN, that was a real concern to a lot of people. I had a real concern also when I wanted to make sure transparency looked. Um, the officer's death is tragic in the, uh, any time an officer is passed uh, in this situation. Uh, I want to make sure they're protected. I want to make sure the transparency is, goes forward. Well, you know, here's the thing. Congressman Matt Gates, who, who I kind of consider as a gold standard right now in, in regards to holding up that America First agenda, the nationalist populist agenda over there in Congress, representative from Florida, has so far given Kevin McCarthy an A as a grade as speaker. And, and although we would probably like to see things done a little bit stronger or it's sometimes faster, the direction he's moved on seems to align up with a lot of the promises that the 20 and eventually the 6 held out on and is the reason why he's the speaker and probably at this point right now with what he's doing is the best man for the job out there in Congress because it doesn't seem like in any way shape or form he's bending the knee to Mitch McConnell you don't see that do you Alan no no I can agree with everything you're saying right now yeah. I can and I, and I think moving forward you know this is something that uh, we're going to continue to see Tucker Carlson kind of break down for not only our listenership but everyone who enjoys his show every night and we're going to continue to touch on this narrative we'll talk about Matt Gates and Donald Trump's big weekend at CPAC uh, with Gavin Wax in just a second but first let's hear from one of our partners you know how you've gotten that chewy hard disappointing jerky from the gas station oh. you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bills it's soft and tender because it's cured and air dried instead of dehydrated like that other junk Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us first on the show today... You can see him contributing at the Babylon B, townhall.com, and Newsmax. He's also the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club. Joining us again, Mr. Gavin Wax, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you guys for having me back. It's always great to be on the show. Pleasure to have you. It's big Friday edition of the show today. We're covering a lot of stuff that was going on this week, especially up on Capitol Hill. It seems like committee after committee after subcommittee taking off into all the things that's going on. With the new Republican House still, I think one of the biggest things we saw was the, was the explosive revelations that came from the Tucker Carlson tonight. Kind of a slow bleed of the January 6th tapes, uh, what he's doing with Kevin McCarthy right now, and uh, 
how that all kind of went down. We saw a meltdown up on Capitol Hill. First, it was Chuck Schumer, both on the Senate floor, then talking to the press, followed by Mitch McConnell and some of their counterparts as well. Coming from your standpoint, Gavin, as someone who tries to, uh, you know, analyze this from the outside looking in, provide commentary and stuff on it, what did you think of, of how Tucker Carlson began to deliver this narrative? And then what does it say to the uniparty problem we have in Washington, D.C. with the response? Well, look, I think Tucker Carlson is doing fantastic work. He's acting like a real journalist, uh, and we're very short of those these days. And he's exposing uh, probably one of the biggest uh, stories politically in a generation. I mean, you know, they still talk about Watergate. I mean, this blows anything uh, even close to Watergate out of the water uh, in terms of the scale and the consequences of what this means if it is ultimately uh, proven to be uh, factual in terms of the feds uh, being part of uh, uh, January 6th, which the evidence is starting to mount uh, increasingly showing that they were. Uh, So I think he's doing a great service to the country by exposing it. And I think the reaction from the uni party, from the swamp, from the mainstream media in D.C. and New York, wherever it is, I mean, the fact that they're lashing out in such an aggressive and defensive manner uh, just shows that he has struck a nerve and uh, that there is uh, certainly a lot of truth uh, behind his reporting and his commentary on this matter. And uh, I think we need to get to the bottom of this. I need I think we need to investigate uh, the weaponization of the federal government and the various institutions within the federal government in terms how in terms of how they have uh, been advancing a political agenda and narrative uh, through how they may have been uh, part of January 6th and the narrative formation that occurred there. Uh, this is this is a massive story and uh, I think it shows uh, that we're onto something that we have a hot lead and uh, we need to continue to follow it because uh, there's probably more uh, damning uh, evidence and and facts that have yet to be uh, uncovered in, in relation to this incident uh, for January 6th and possibly uh, many more uh, types of matters that uh, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of. Well, I think that's a good point you make. And, and one of the biggest things that I've been trying to hit with our listenership here, you know, there was there was some belly aching on, on social medias, especially Twitter after the first uh, airing of the, the January 6th story that Tucker's trying to unpack for the American public. But a lot of people don't understand that that there's a lot of people in in conservative movement, especially in like the MAGA movement, who are in the know about what happened. They either uh, were at the Trump rally, or or they just know what happened, either working with January six families and things of that nature, or or just being an insider and having a better idea of like the other side of the story that Tucker Carlson's just beginning to tell people, which is which is the point that I'm trying to make. You know, on a lot of the mainstream media, the only thing we'll see when anybody talks about January 6th is a small group of people pushing, you know, on a, a, a you know, a group of police officers or they'll, you know, talk about the how it's worse than the Civil War and 9-11 combined. So, so there can't just be a like, we knew it, we caught them, here's how we caught them, because I think it goes over the head of, of tens of millions of people if you do that. Do you agree with that? Um, look, I think there's a lot of people that want to keep their head in the sand and don't want to investigate these things. They just want to go along to get along. And, uh, you know, they can't handle the truth. You know, yeah. I think this is certainly something that's going to trigger a lot of people. And a lot of people still have this uh, dated notion that our government uh, are full of uh, good and upstanding citizens who just want what's best uh, for the country and the American people. And I think, you know, we have to come to grips that our uh, institutions are corrupt and run to the core. And our government is full of scoundrels uh, who have no problem throwing innocent Americans in jail to right. uh, advance a political agenda. And I think it's a tough pill to swallow for many people, particularly people that are not really, you know, as in the weeds uh, of politics and and culture that say, you know, you know, you or I, I am 
Uh, but I think we need to start having this discussion. We need to begin to shift um, in terms of how we are approaching these issues. And I think it's going to be a tough transition for a lot of folks. And I think they're going to have a hard time wrapping their head around the ultimate consequences of all this. But I do think it will be healthy for a society for us to have a, a high degree of skepticism of our government and to have a discerning outlook in terms of how our government operates and i think that's the norm in many other countries i think many other countries you go to that you go there and they know the government's corrupt they know the officials are corrupt you know they, they're very cynical in a way but i think we need a healthy dose of cynicism because i think the reason we've gotten to this point is we've been asleep at the wheel yep. and we've just assumed that our constitution and and everything will just protect us but it won't if we're not vigilant and we're not on top of these things uh we will be co-opted and that's what we've been seeing no you make a great point there i mean the the, the Weaponized radical left has found every constitutional loophole you can imagine. In addition, they've helped appoint so many of the judges who are just will circumvent the constitutional process altogether. We're, we're kind of behind the ball a little bit, but I, but I think we're uh, starting to catch up on the scoreboard, if you ask me. I think there's a lot of people whose eyes are opened after this week, even when you, know, you have people like Merrick Garland coming out and still this week saying up to five police officers died on January 6th, which is just a complete and utter lie and it just goes into the uh you know the regime narrative of the way that they do stuff it's project deflect and reject and uh that, that's kind of what they do and and they're doing the same thing with dismissing the tucker carlson narrative saying he's just as dangerous as some of the people that caused problems on january 6th and i think it's uh moving forward one that the american public is probably going to be a little bit more comfortable at least understanding so let's let, let's parlay that into the uh, weaponization subcommittee that was going on yesterday i'm sure you saw portions of that as it was broadcast on the news, you had every Democrat lawmaker up there trying to bully Matt Taibbi into revealing his sources uh, for the Twitter files. And uh, like you just had pointed out, kind of going around what some of the protections average everyday American citizens, as every citizen does in this country, have to uh, be able to have the freedom of the press. What did you think from some of the stuff that we saw yesterday? And where do you think that this goes as they kind of lay out there? That, you know, it's not important what the sources were. It's that the sources that they're getting the information from knew that our federal law enforcement agencies and the highest levels of government were collaborating with big tech to censor and repress conservatives. Listen, I agree. I think, you know, it'd be great to know the sources, but we need to keep our eye on the ball here. We need to realize that uh, the focus should be that there's this corporate uh, federal government relationship, this revolving door, these back uh, room deals that are being made uh, to violate the rights uh, and the privacy of ordinary Americans. I think this is the massive uh, takeaway here. It's that uh, big tech and, and corporate interests at large are, are merging with elements of the state and the intelligence agencies and the intelligence community. And uh, all this power, this centralized power, whether it's in big tech, big finance, you know, big media, you know, all the big corporate interests uh, having their, some cases, monopolized power uh, blend uh, with the state's power uh, is a very dangerous thing, and it's not healthy for our republic, uh, for the protection of our rights, uh, and it's clearly being used against us uh, in a very ideologically driven manner. Uh, so this should concern everybody, and uh, I would hope that our friends, uh, the more libertarian-leaning friends of ours, would understand that this isn't simply a matter of the free market or you know businesses doing what they want. This is a blending of the lines, of the borders, of the barriers between corporate power and state power, and it is very dangerous and we're going down a very dangerous path here. Uh, we need to get to grips with it. We need to get to the bottom of it. And we need to pass reform 
uh, reforms, laws, regulations, whatever it is, whatever it takes uh, to separate corporate and state power once more and show that there, there, there are lines that cannot be crossed uh, and that the intelligence community and the federal government at large uh, cannot weaponize their own institutions through corporate uh, entities uh, to target everyday Americans, that this is a gross violation uh, of the basic fundamental uh, you know, nature of our government and our country. And uh, we're entering into very dangerous territory, unprecedented territory. We've never really seen this in the U.S. It's happened in other countries, uh, but we need to get ahead of it now. And Republicans need to get smart that this isn't a matter of small government or the free market versus big government and socialism. This is a more insidious, more nuanced fight uh, that we're up against. And it's going to take a lot more than just slogans uh, to get to the bottom of it. Sure. That's a great point. And, you know, it's one of the things that we try to point out on this show very so often. It's not just like we're trying to level the playing field here or even reverse it and, and use the same entities to to you know benefit Republicans. It's that this needs to be brought out into the open. We need to see this long uh, kind of, you know, decaying version of how the government works, especially on the progressive left side in collaboration with how our federal law enforcement agencies have, have been in steady decline for the past several decades now and moving forward, what we could do to kind of get back to a baseline to where the agencies that's supposed to rep represent, you know, the people and protect them, the FBI, the DOJ, the DNI, DHS, places like that are actually doing their jobs and not worrying about creating like false narratives like white nationalism is the biggest threat to democracy and things of that nature. One of the people who's leading that charge up on Capitol Hill, and it went through the subcommittee on uh, the Twitter files all the way down to his floor vote to cr try and get U.S. troops out of Syria. Uh, for a conflict that we have no business, you know, being involved in is Matt Gates. What can you say about the job that he's done since this Congress has kicked off? And, and what do you see him continuing to do in, in his rise to dominance in the party? Uh, Congressman Matt Gates, who I consider a per who I consider a personal friend, is doing a phenomenal job on Capitol Hill, calling out the Uni Party uh, and leading the charge uh, for non-interventionism and and scaling back our uh, involvement abroad, particularly in all these wars and conflicts that we really have no business being a part of and have only led uh, to more death and misery uh, for those uh, on the unfortunate side of our interventions. Uh, this has been a massive uh, waste of American taxpayer money and resources and military resources, not to advance any strategic objective, but largely, for at least for the United States and the American people, but to advance strategic objectives uh, for the globalist elites and 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 their corporate backers and all these other international uh, entities. Uh, so I give. Uh, massive kudos to Congressman Matt Gates uh, for having the uh, the backbone uh, to stand strong on this issue repeatedly, uh, even going against his own party. I mean, I know a few years ago he was uh, going up against even Trump with the War Powers Act, and yep. I wrote an I wrote an article about that defending him. I think he has taken a very principled stance. I think he sort of inherited. Uh, this torch from, say, uh, Congressman Ron Paul, sure. uh, who is a uh, famous, uh, you know, non-interventionist as well. Uh, but I think he's right on the money, and he's building a, an interesting coalition uh, across the aisle with 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 liberals, progressives, even leftists, uh, who are also standing shoulder to shoulder with him and some of his Republican colleagues in terms of fighting back 
against the uni party's uh, war lust. And uh, we see things escalating in Ukraine and elsewhere. And where the world is really on the brink. The world is really on the brink of a, of a, of a worldwide conflict, uh, something we've never seen, uh, at least with nuclear powers. And we haven't seen anything uh, this heightened since uh, World War II. Um, so we are in dangerous uh, territory. And we're living in dangerous times. And we need adults at the table uh, who understand the consequences of these interventions and understand uh, what this can escalate and lead to. And it seems like only Congressman Matt Gates, for the most part, has the wherewithal to understand uh, what we're dealing with. And we have a lot of children and ideologically driven uh, nincompoops at the State Department and the Defense Department who are pushing us uh, closer and closer to a global conflict with Russia or China or whoever. Um, so we need to see more of this. And look, Ma Congressman Matt Gates has been standing strong on a variety of issues. I mean, holding Kevin McCarthy's feet to the fire, forcing concessions out of the establishment and the party leadership in the House, concessions that conservatives have been fighting for, you know, decades to achieve. Uh, and he was able to get it done. And we see now that uh, House leadership is really uh, turned a new leaf and is operating in a completely different uh, manner and, and tuned from years prior. And I largely attribute that to the work of Matt Gates and his colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus uh, for standing up uh, on their beliefs and principles and and effectuating change which is something we rarely see uh from republicans in government so it's refreshing and look even though his vote failed it was good to have it on the record uh where people stand and continue to make this an issue and move the needle ever so slightly i think it is impressive that we had over 100 people vote uh for his resolution absolutely uh, we need more and it's it's moving in the right direction yeah it certainly is i mean there are places where we do need to probably intervene i think most recently you probably agree with me the goings-on with the mexican cartels and how they've turned into yes. a you know, multi-billion dollar corporate entity that rivals some third world countries, entire economies, uh, you know, is probably one of the places in Syria. There's not really anything for us there except the chance of, of more U.S. soldiers, uh, servicemen and women getting killed. Gavin, last thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's really important. You want to just give a brief commentary on what you thought about Donald Trump's masterful speech over at CPAC this weekend. I think he hit on a lot of new points. He definitely did his best attempt. I think he did it resoundingly of reclaiming the base and, and redefining the lines of uh, exactly where he stands and called out the people who needed to be called out. Not anybody in the presidential primary so far. But the long-term establishment people like Jeb Bush and Paul Ryan, especially Mitch McConnell, who have made America not great again, and uh, where we're going from here on it. Uh, I think President Donald J. Trump's speech at CPAC was one of his best. Uh, it was one for the books. Uh, he came out swinging uh, in so many different directions. It was the energy that uh, you know uh, brought us. Uh, to love him to begin with and, and, and uh, you know, uh, catapulted him into the presidency. It was that same populist, uh, you know, bombastic, fiery, passionate energy uh, that we rarely see from American politicians and leaders. And uh, I think he came out swinging against the establishment, against the uni party. Uh, he showed uh, that he is there to be a fighter, that he is fighting uh, for us. He will be the retribution. And I think he paved a very new uh, and unique and cutting edge, avant-garde even, ideological path uh, for the party. Uh, he's talking about things that Republicans never had the creativity or the brains to even touch, right. whether it is you know, baby bonuses and, and promoting natalism to reverse our demographic decline, whether it is talking about beautifying architecture and, and talking about how the left has destroyed, you know, beauty and aesthetics with their brutalism and all their other ni nihilistic tendencies that, that, that show in the arts and, and in architecture, whether it is bold and ambitious ideas like building new American cities. I mean, these are 
are larger than life ideas. These are these are uh, these are things that can unite the country behind that that, that can cut a path forward and show uh, that he is thinking not in terms of one election cycle, but he's thinking generationally. He's thinking, how can I put this country on the right path for the next two generations, not just the next election cycle or two, which is how Republicans typically think. So he's thinking big, he's thinking large, uh, and he's cutting a new path policy-wise for the party that we really haven't seen. And the party has largely been confined to these trite slogans about you know socialism and small government and whatever and and it's not motivating anyone it's not motivating people it's not getting people excited no one's excited about these lame old talking points they want to see someone who is going to be a visionary and i think trump showed himself to be a visionary at cpac with this new policy agenda going forward and that's the kind of energy that i think we need from a leader and a statesman i think that's the kind of energy uh that will catapult him again into the white house and lead to electoral success for himself and the party. Uh, so I would hope that the party at large gets behind him uh, because I know I am fully supportive of his policy agenda. And I'm looking for more policy-heavy speeches uh, and passionate speeches like the one he gave at CPAC uh, throughout the campaign trail, which I'm sure President Donald J. Trump will deliver on. I think uh, the speeches of that nature are the ones that resonate with the common man and women, the people who he claims uh, our country, our government has forgotten over the decades, the ones who he claimed uh, he would be the voice of in his original uh, presidential campaign. And moving forward, he's obviously added that he's going to be the warrior. He will be our retribution and things of that nature. Gavin, we want to direct everybody to find the club, find you on social medias. If you want to briefly uh, talk about what you've got going on this weekend, I know there's a big event for Roger Stone happening down at the New York Young Republicans Club, and uh, we'll live link everything in the show description today. Well, thank you guys again for having uh, me on. It's always great to be on Steak for Breakfast. Uh, a lot of fun stuff happening with the New York and Republican Club, the oldest and largest in the country. Uh, last night, we had a panel uh, discussing uh, the uh, the grooming of children and the pushing of drag queen story hour on children. Uh, and uh, and it, it was met with massive protests and attacks by Antifa outside our clubhouse in Manhattan. We had the NYPD intervene and it just goes to show we're, we're, we're striking a nerve and uh, we are focusing in on the right issue here, uh, a disgusting issue, the fact that we even have to talk about it and the fact that it's even controversial says a lot about the state of our society. Uh, but we're, we're coming back uh, we're coming back from that yesterday with an even bigger, more controversial event tonight with the uh, infamous Roger Stone, uh, who we will be hosting uh, at a secret location. We are expecting between two and 300 people. He will be pouring a uh, martini for every single one of them. Uh, the Nixon recipe martini will have free cigars. It's going to be a great time. He's going to talk about, uh, you know, politics, the young Republicans, the movement at large, you know, Trump, whatever. It's going to be a great time. We're very excited to have him and we're expecting plenty of protests, but you can check us out at nyyrc nyyrc.com and you can follow me at gavin wax g-a-v-i-n-w-a-x they are the oldest and largest and greatest young republicans club and this is the president of the, of the new york edition of that mr gavin wax thanks for joining us on steak for breakfast thank you sir as COVID 19 began to spread across the world there were two competing hypotheses about the origin of this virus that needed to be vigorously explored The first hypothesis is the possibility that COVID-19 infections in humans were the result of a spillover event from nature. This is a situation in which the virus naturally mutates and becomes more transmissible from one species to another, in this case from bats to humans via an intermediate species. This is what happened in previous outbreaks of 
SARS and MERS and earlier coronaviruses that emerged from bats and spread through an intermediate animal. The second hypothesis is the possibility that the virus evolved in a laboratory involved in gain-of-function research. This is a type of research in which scientists seek to increase the transmissibility or pathogenicity of an organism in order to better understand that organism and inform preparedness efforts and the development of countermeasures such as therapeutics and vaccines. Under this theory, COVID infected the general population after it was accidentally leaked from a lab in China. From the earliest days of the pandemic, my view was both theories about the origin needed to be aggressively and thoroughly examined. Based on my initial analysis of the data, I came to believe, and I still believe today, that it indicates that COVID-19 more likely was the result of an accidental lab leak than a result of a natural spillover event. This conclusion is based primarily on the biology of the virus itself, including the rapid high infectivity for human-to-human -human transmission, which would then predict rapid evolution of new variants, as well as a number of other important factors. Mm. House subcommittee <laughs> kicked off yesterday uh, looking into the origins of COVID-19. And as uh, former CDC director Robert Redfield uh, gave part of his opening statement there, you kind of see how as a, you know, government entity, they decided to look at this from all angles in the beginning, but now armchair quarterbacking and, and seeing how the narrative has kind of been directed in one direction for so long, misleading essentially the entire world. Uh, he's in the, you know, demographic of the people who believe that this was created in a Chinese virology lab using gain of function research and probably was accidentally released to the public in, in what became, you know, the global pandemic, uh, back in late 2019. I know you saw parts of this, uh, yesterday, Alan, and we're always talking about it here on the show. What did you think, uh, going on and how they went yesterday in that subcommittee meeting of the house? The bits I saw, I mean, boring to say the least, but I just think it's all BS. I mean, we listen, this thing didn't come from a bat. You could speculate about COVID and how they want to cover things up. Everybody now it's a uh, cover their own ass. Now we know that, you know, I, my theories are that it was, you know, gain of function. Sure. I think, I think it was purposely leaked from the lab and I have, so I, have theories. I, I, I think that China purposely released it to, uh, to, to kill Americans or, or to, 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 to cripple our economy and, and other things, maybe not to directly murder Americans, but to definitely put a damper on our way of life and society, which it did, if you let it, or that it was a, between China and our deep state, it was a, and you can, maybe I'll put my tinfoil hat on, a bioweapon as a conspiracy for the Trump administration to throw something very difficult at him to make him look bad. But either way, uh, this wasn't an accident. Either way, it wasn't an accident. I don't think it was an accidental leak. We're never, I, I even Roan, I believe from these hearings, we're not going to get the truth or, or really true context unless there's some breaking documents that are found or, or, or whistleblowers that, that, that come about, you know? It's pretty funny that you mentioned that because following that subcommittee hearing yesterday, uh, the House convened and by a 419 to zero vote, they uh, passed a resolution to declassify all of the documents from all of the federal agencies uh, regarding the origins of COVID-19, whether or not we'll ever get to the actual bottom of that or see all the pertinent material that's, 
yet to be seen, but it's a step in the right direction. And uh, from a bipartisan standpoint, that's probably the first thing we've all got together to do that best services yeah. the American people in this 118th Congress. And we're, we're about three months in right now. So, I mean, that's just kind of the way you got to look at it. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see how this is unraveling. I, I, I know things from, well, here's the thing. I think more Democrats get involved when it's stuff related to COVID because, number one, it doesn't hurt you in elections really to be for, you know, lab leak theory or other theories. Uh, and number two, I think a lot of people, when you talk about both sides of the aisle in Congress, I think they see the effects at home, how it's mm -hmm. affected their wallet, how it's affected their community, how it's affected their children. Uh, you know, everyone made steps to try and protect the social development and, uh, you know, educational developments of their children during COVID. But there's a large majority of the country that's still feeling the negative effects from, what, two years of distance learning and uh, not growing up around other kids for yeah. so long and then having the masks and stuff and all that other whatnot after that. Well, let's face it also politically, like you had just said, you know, it's not going to hurt them. So they can all vote the same that they want to declassify the documents because whether a specific politician cares or not or agrees or not, as long as their constituents think that this individual, these individuals are actively trying to figure out the origins of COVID to hopefully maybe hold somebody accountable, it's all gravy for them. It's all posit positive for them as far as their constituents go. Yeah, that's true as well. James Comer was questioning uh, Dr. Redfield yesterday on his opening testimony. Let's hear him. Dr. Redfield, I want to stick with you. you. You have said before that you were locked out of conversations about the lab leak by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. Do you think they kept you out of the conversations because you believe COVID-19 may have come from a lab? Yeah, I think I made it very clear in January to all of them why we had to aggressively pursue this. And I let them know as a virologist that I didn't see that this was anything like SARS or MERS because they never learned how to transmit human to human that I felt this virus was too infectious for humans. There was a lot of evidence that lab actually published in 2014 that they put the H2 receptor yep. into humanized mice so it could infect human tissue. I think, you know, we had to really uh, seriously go after the fact that it came from the lab. And they knew that that was how I was thinking, although I thought we had to go after both hypotheses. And I was told later, uh, I didn't know I was excluded. I didn't know there was a February 1st conference call until the Freedom of Information came out with the emails, and right. I was quite upset as the CDC director that I was exclu excluded from those discussions. Well, why would they do this? Because I had a different point of view, and I was told they made a decision that they would keep this confidential until they came up with a single narrative, which I will argue is antithetical to science. Science never selects a single narrative. We foster, as my colleague here just said, we foster debate. Mm -hmm. And we, we're confident that with debate, science will eventually get to the truth. This was an a priori decision that there's one point of view that we're going to put out there, and anyone who doesn't agree with it is going to be sidelined. And as I say, I was only the CDC director, right. and I was sidelined. And he was sidelined. And, you know, you know who he's referencing to about whose opinion would be the one that became the uh, gold standard for the entire world. That's Dr. Anthony Fauci's, the, you know, disgraced, Dr. Doom, who who kind of 
misled us through the entirety of the pandemic and really threw a wrench into the re-election uh, process of Donald Trump. Just another one of the components that Donald Trump had to fight on the campaign trail instead of just being able to talk about the issues there. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they did want to kind of clarify when anybody did speak up at the beginnings of when this became, you know, getting a lot of attention from around the world late 2019, early 2020, once they decided on the narrative was going to be, you know, a thousand years of evolution and, and, and a wet market in Wuhan, uh, <laughs> anyone that even said like, well, I, I mean, that doesn't really line up with science. We should probably have several different possibilities of where this came from and uh, look at all of them. Boom. Out of the email thread and eventually out of a job. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? Uh, do, do, do you think that's kind of the way it went down once Anthony Fauci and whoever his collaborators were in this? I mean, obviously, you know, Dr. Briggs, you have Peter Daszak and all those other people, uh, Francis Collins, all the ones who were complicit, probably members of the WHO, counterparts over in China, uh, where Dr. Fauci was, was exclusively funding, uh, gain of funding, gain of function research over there. Do you, do you think this kind of lines up? It doesn't seem like it's somebody that's trying to cover their ass. It just this seems like someone who actually you know gave a shit about his job, and 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 once he became you know outside of uh, what all the NPCs were going to kind of agree with, he just got kind of pushed out of the threads. Yeah, I I think it is more than covering his ass. I I think he was genuine, and maybe when if he wasn't going to play along, is why he got pushed out and everyone else had to worry about covering their own ass. And and again, just money and power there's so many moving parts it gets so confusing yeah. because there are so many theories and so many different agencies both domestically and internationally that were all complicit in in this big cover-up to what was going on and, and i i'm hoping that they follow more of the money on who's getting what what's going where you know we they've been pretty decent about it so far but i, I don't i don't again maybe not scratching the surface but we know we know fauci benefited and and it's it's just it's a shame that so many so many lives have been destroyed yeah. in so many ways and, and, and everything else. And now it's like, all right, here comes the cleanup crew. Let's figure out how. What's gonna come of it, Ron? Well, nobody's going to jail. That's a good point. No, nobody's going to jail. I'd hate to break it to everybody, all these people, Fauci for prison. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Love to see it. The guy's eighty years old. Nothing's gonna happen. Not going to jail, not getting indicted, not getting arrested. Nothing is gonna happen. And it's none of these people are going to be held accountable. Uh, China is not going to be held accountable, at least right now. And here we are. We're spinning wheels, doing, you know, having hearings, which I guess I'm just hoping that something will come out of it to help the, you know, court of public opinion. Which which is always important, and and you know when you look about the people who are providing oversight right now, let's hear the other side of the coin. Believe it or not, you wouldn't think that when you're talking about the origins of COVID, they'd be able to find a way to pin this on Donald Trump. But uh, here's Jamie <laughs> Raskin doing his best job of doing that. Whatever the origins of COVID nineteen, whether it is bats oh. or bureaucrats, oh. no finding will ever exonerate or rehabilitate Donald Trump for his lethal recklessness in mismanaging the crisis in America, which cost us more than a million lives. Oh. Indeed, if COVID was actually the product of a lab leak or the worst bioweapon of mass destruction ever invented, as some have argued, and obviously we don't have the scientific evidence to say any of this yet, it would not only not remove Donald Trump's 
culpability, it would only deepen his culpability in the most profound way. Now, why do I say that? Because over the course of the crisis, beginning in January of 2020 and lasting through the spring, on more than 42 different occasions that we have identified so far, President Trump openly praised and defended the performance of Communist Party Secretary and Chinese President Xi in his handling of COVID-19 and oh. boasted of how closely they were working together and boasted of Xi's openness and transparency. Now, I mean, when you hear uh, Dr. Redfield in our opening clips describe how the bio leak, the bio lab leak, the bioweapon, you know, aspect of it, as soon as those were removed from the equation and this becomes like uh, an evolutionary accident, a once in a hundred year plague it doesn't really fall on the shoulders of Donald Trump but to work with the people that are as close to ground zero as possible. So if everybody's telling him there's no way that this is a bioweapon, there's no way that this, you know, evolved from gain of function research and leaked from a Chinese lab, this is this is something that the world deals with every hundred or so years. Why wouldn't he want to work with counterparts around the globe to, you know, find right. out ways to best handle the situation? So it's just Jimmy Redskin has chemo brain. He's got chemo brain. So I, I mean, was looking for a way to knock him for having cancer, but it's so mean. I, I didn't. I, want I, to I don't there, care. There this, this is this is why you have me, Ron. I, I I'm the scumbag is going to come out. I mean, he literally, he's sitting there with a stupid handkerchief on a handkerchief on his head. Just just bick just bick your head, Jamie, and come out like a man because you look like a fairy that's out in the fields picking poppies. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. All right. It's the guys out there, just another one spewing lies, grifting. And, you know, he makes himself be the victim. Now he has cancer. Oh, January 6th, right after that, his son committed suicide. All horrible things. Yeah. This guy, just stop already. This guy, another. Oh, all right, I'll stop. No, it's it's just a really bad angle. Not you making fun of him for having cancer. That that's neither here nor there. But the angle that he took trying to blame Donald Trump and that he literally is spending American tax dollars apparently to have his congressional team to go back and look at all the times that he tried to uh, work with or collaborate with Xi Jinping and the CCP to kind of try and uh, you know get their arms around this, but as it spiraled out of control across the globe, and COVID was a no-win situation for Donald Trump, That that's something that's well-documented. We're, we're never going to be satisfied with it, and we're actually going to talk. Next Friday, we've got former chief of staff to the DOD and deputy director of the Department of National Intelligence, Cash Patel, coming on. I've heard a couple people talk to him about it. I think I know the angle I want to go in on it with him, and, and we're going to get some receipts uh, because he, Cash Patel was one of those people that was on the front line during the pandemic, and, and for all the things that were not satisfied and the way Donald Trump was pushed around by Dr. Fauci and, and Burks and Mike Pence, we're going to figure out what was going on behind the scenes. We're going to get to the bottom of that. While you're listening right now, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, make sure you're subscribing to the show, rate the show, leave a review, follow us across all social medias. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Getter. True Social and Instagram, Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Hit those notification bells. Help out the show as we continue to grow every week. Jim Jordan had it after a couple Jamie Raskin and AOCs weighed in uh, on how they felt the pandemic was handled and managed and where exactly it came from. So as he tried to uh, corral everybody back to the center and take control of the meeting, let's hear the congressman from Ohio. You're wrestling in college. I got a degree in economics. You're supposed to get a degree when you go to college. I got one in economics. And one of the things they tell you about is a thing called opportunity cost. So when you're spending your time making sure that the country believes only one of these theories, 
You could have been doing what Dr. Redfield was doing in our government, trying to figure out how we deal with this virus. And what was, what was Dr. Fauci doing? He was trying to cover his backside. And everybody knows it. And that's the part that ticks us off, because this is the highest paid guy in our government getting all kinds of money to tell us things that were not accurate. Because we now know U.S. tax dollars went to a lab in China, a lab that was not up to code, a lab that was doing gain-of-function research, and that's where this thing most definitely came from. And Dr. Fauci had to prove, no, no, he can't have that news getting out. And that's why he did what he did to the exclusion of a brilliant guy running our CDC, kept him out of the loop. Keeping him out of the loop probably potentially could have harmed America. That's the thing that ticks us all off. And that's why, Mr. Chairman, this, this hearing is so darn important, and we get to the bottom of really what happened. I yield back. He does yield back. And, uh, you know, listen, it wasn't very long after the committee broke for the day that, uh, believe it or not, Dr. Fauci rolled himself out. And, you know, we're talking about cancer patients, both current and ones from the past. He jumped on yesterday with uh, Neil Cavuto, whose show I cannot watch. It's one of the most cringiest ones on Fox News uh, to talk about, well, basically running a misinformation narrative for everything that Dr. Redfield said during his congressional testimony yesterday. Let's hear Dr. Doom. Neil, good to be with you again. So let me ask you about what Dr. Uh, Robert Redfield is charging, that you froze him out, that you didn't want him there, you didn't want him at these Mm -hmm. meetings, and that was deliberate. You know, Neil, I really feel badly about that because I I know Bob a long time. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect in what he's saying, that I excluded him. I had nothing to do with who would be on that call. That call was organized by a group of evolutionary virologists in order to discuss the possibility that this might actually be a virus that was actually engineered. So I didn't put anybody on the list of that call, nor did I take anybody else. So it's really unfortunate that in a public setting like the hearing that Dr. Redfield made that absolutely incorrect statement. The other thing well, he said that's interesting, that, Neil, who would he said, no, but, but Neil, did oh, you decide to be on that oh, call or did these oh, other virologists? Neil, I just said it. I didn't have anything to do about the decision who would be on the call. The evolutionary virologist, Dr. Eddie Holmes, Christian Anderson, all of the others that won, they made the decision who's on the call. I didn't add anybody to the call. So you didn't know going into the call, you didn't know going into the call that the CDC director would not be part of that call. Do you think he should have been? Uh, Well, I mean, retrospectively, it would have been okay to have him on the call, of course, but I didn't put him or take him off. And it's really disturbing that in a public hearing of a congressional hearing, he makes an accusatory statement that has no basis whatsoever in reality. Thank you. Is this guy kidding me? First of all, this guy, Dr. Fauci, the highest paid government employee, you're telling me that knowing the director of the CDC, I mean, he, he doesn't. He's supposed to be a smart guy that he shouldn't be on that or that he should have been on that call to make sure that he was on that call. Well, why was Dr. Redfield pushed out? We know why he was pushed out. Look who he was appointed by. He can't be trusted. Of course. He's a Trump appointment, right? Yep, certainly was. And uh, listen, who appointed him and his... uh historical voting record has nothing to do with what was going on at the time. He was probably the voice of reason in a massive cover-up, which is basically what we're starting to lay the groundwork now for with all the information that's come out over the past couple of years, plus what we're probably going to get from these committees. And, uh, 
you know, we're just going to continue to track this as, as these committees are just getting kicked off now and starting to get into some of the, you know, more expert witnesses. We're going to see documents that are going to start being presented and stuff as well. And, uh, I, I do feel like at the end of the day, people in our government will probably be held accountable. I'm in the, the minority with Alan that no one's going to jail, especially Dr. Fauci at his advanced age. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to continue to have to deal with for decades is the effects of, uh, the pandemic and what, you know, the one world government narrative, what it looked like and how it's negatively affected anything. One of those things that it's really affected in a negative way is the economy, which still hasn't recovered, which we're about to touch on right now with supply chain expert Jim Nels. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is a supply chain expert one of our favorite contributors here on steak for breakfast joining us on this friday edition of the show mr jim nels thanks for coming back with us today good morning thanks for having me how's everything going with you sir happy friday living, happy friday living the dream nice snowy friday afternoon here in the middle of march in chicago well at least you guys get, are getting a new mayor to, and uh <laughs> you won't have to uh be dealing with beetlejuice anymore and her uh lack of pretty much anything to do with public safety and, and cleanliness and things of that nature. Beetlejuice is gone. Long live Beetlejuice. Ooh, we said it three times. So she's going to come out of the uh, computer <laughs> screen right now and get us. So Jim, I know, you know, you're always dealing with, with all things supply chain related, which means you got your brain wrapped around the economy at all times. Uh, there are a lot of people who are not as optimistic as the Biden regime is today. As the new jobs numbers came out, over 300,000 new jobs were made in the, in the last reporting period. What can you tell our listenership on what those numbers really mean in direct reflection to what the economy that the average man and woman is going through in their daily lives right now? So here's the interesting thing. So payrolls are up by 311,000, which, you know, it's weird to be rude against Americans getting jobs, right? But in order to get out of the mess that we're in now, we need the payrolls to, to come down. The unemployment rate actually went up by three, up to 3.6%. But that's because of the labor participation rate starting to increase. And Biden's already claimed that that's a victory, but it's not. People are being forced back into the workforce because they can't afford to pay for their necessities based off of what they were doing last year this time. Meaning, Maybe a wife had to go back to work when she stopped work during COVID. Maybe a husband took a second job or a, a wife took a second job. Uh, the number of people working multiple jobs has also increased significantly. And the worst part is people are working harder, they're working longer, and they're losing money. Um, wage, w wages were up about 4.6%. That's still 2% below the rate of inflation. And one more point about inflation before we move on to something else. Everyone has been celebrating that how in, in January, the rate of growth of inflation was down to 6.4%. Right. What people are forgetting is that that's year over year over January of 22. In January of 22, inflation was 7.5% year over year over January of 21. So we're looking at 15% inflation over the last two years, which is killing the working families of America. 
Yeah, and that's more of an accurate number for places where we live out here in California, probably places like where you live in Illinois as well. As uh, I filled up my gas tank this morning, and uh, it was $5.01. So we're starting to see, uh, you know, just how great the Biden economy is working from whatever he says, the bottom up and the middle out and all those other word salads <laughs> he tries to feed us. And, and it just seems like at the end of every pay cycle, the average man and woman, the blue collar family in this country is having less and less money in their bank accounts and less and less money to use on their family. And like you have pointed out several times on the show, you know, almost over 60% of your total income is going to what food, fuel, and, and putting a roof over your head, right? Exactly. So food, fuel, and shelter about. 60 to 66 percent for people and, and we're still seeing that that happen and you know even now if you were a, a person we've seen mortgage rates go up seven straight weeks home sales have decreased 12 straight months so if you were to get a new job offer and wanted to leave san diego and move to someplace nice like dallas the odds of you being able to sell your place are pretty low because no one wants to buy a house or at least you probably wouldn't be able to uh to get the price that you wanted the other thing that's starting to happen which is has the markets freaking out right now is the Fed has shut down a bank in um, California, the yeah. Silicon Valley Bank. They shut it down. And what drove them into their situation that they're in is over-reliance on, listen to this, government bonds. <laughs> the government bonds became basically pieces of paper worth nothing. And that's what drove this bank into nearly insolvency right now. The reports that Goldman Sachs is in there trying to find a buyer for them. But um, this hopefully is not the start of a repeat of 2008. No, and which a lot of people, you know, I read an article today, I can't remember where it was from, but it was from a major publication that said the uh, high-end housing market in the United States is starting to show cracks. And I was like, man, I remember back in late 2007 when they started teasing stuff like that, everybody was kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then like, you know, uh, and one-tenth of the country lost their permanent housing when the stock yeah. market crashed in 2008. I do, you know, we're, we're talking about the stock market here, the economy and, and how they can, you know, reflect off each other. But I saw a lot of Reddit closing yesterday. That that kind of continues the trend today here on Friday uh, as, as the markets are back open still for a couple hours here on the West Coast. A lot of that had to do with Joe Biden rolling out his budget proposal, which is a nearly $7 trillion monster bill uh, that adds to the total national deficit uh, almost up to $2 trillion. Uh, also $2 trillion new dollars in taxes. Um, there, there was things to the minimum income tax, uh, capital gains tax, and the corporate tax rates that were all major uh, influxes there. You want to unpack this a little bit for our listenership as we're going to be talking about it next on the show? Yeah, so $6.9 trillion uh, dollar budget, which is just absolutely in insane. And there are some things that he, he put in there for tax increases that I want to make sure that people understand what it will do to them. So one, a corporate tax going from 21 to 28%. That would give us the highest corporate tax rate in the world. And you know what? Corporations don't pay taxes. People pay taxes. So if the grocery store chain has to pay 28% tax on, on the revenue, guess what they're going to do? They're going to raise the price of the food that you buy. Yep. So, are the, so are the gas stations. So are the retail stores. So that tax hits every single person. Capital gains, they want to double that nearly from 20% to 39.6. They're like, oh, only rich people have capital gains. Yeah. You know what? Any American with a 401k or a house has capital gains. And the problem with cap with the high capital gains tax is what, what they don't explain to people is that the money I used to buy that asset was already taxed at maybe 35%. Yeah. And then I invest that money, and then you want to take another 40% of that money away from me? Are you kidding me? 
the last one that, that I really think is hilarious is their, their billionaires tax. And they want to put a 25% on anyone with $100 million of household wealth or more. They want to tax them on unrealized gains. Basically, every year you'd have to determine how much your net worth went up and pay tax on that. Right. If I was Leader McCarthy, I would put forth a bill today with this billionaire's tax in it and make the Democrats vote on it because they would never vote on it. And even if they did, Biden would um, veto it because this is their donor class. These are the oligarchs that run their party, and there's no way this would ever get through. Biden knows it, so McCarthy should put through a bill today on this billionaire's tax as well as his corporate tax rate and call these guys out, get them on record saying we're full of crap. We just want to put that out there to win the public relations battle. No, that, th- those are some excellent points there and definitely some of the things that I wanted to highlight with you. Now, one thing I wanted to touch back on because I think it's really important, the capital gains tax going from 20% up to, like you said, 39.6%, and then the double tax penalty that you're going to get in- into investments you made with your 401k. When you see stuff like this that's going out into the proposed national budget, the initial draft, uh, what Joe Biden presented to the House Republicans yesterday, and we already talk about what's going on with the whole ESG component of it and how the house is already fighting that because you have a lot of these major corporations going into people's, you know, investments and, and just blindly wasting them all for the sake of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. How much money could we talk about of total investments and allotments that people are making right now when you're talking about almost 40% in the capital gain tax and then forced ESG from some of these major corporations? It's billions and billions of dollars. I don't have a specific number, but it's, it's mind blowing how big it is. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of people don't understand. They're trying to get us from all ends. And then when you see, of course, the funding for the 80,000 IRS agents was in there as well. Uh, There's there's just so much stuff going on that's in regards to to kind of crushing the uh, American middle class right now. What do you think the the eventual goal is here? Is is it just to have one big blob of people who kind of have to float above poverty and then, you know, just the corporate elites who, who govern over them with the way that this, you know, current administration is going with their uh, with their proposed budgets and, and the way they want to outline the uh, future of the American economy? I mean, without getting too conspiracy theorist, right, it, it really feels like the goal is to have as many people dependent on the government as possible. The more people that are dependent upon the government and the ruling class, then the more powerful that ruling class becomes. And you have your whole uh, mass of proletariats who are ready to do your bidding because without you, they can't exist any longer. And we're getting more and more to that point where more and more Americans have to rely on the government to survive every single day. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one right now. I mean, you say it. Well, I mean, we don't have to go too far into the conspiracy realm when you have like Davos and and you know the the, the current uh, what is it the the, conf- new, the new world order, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the one the conference of one world governments and stuff that they're always having these random big time events where where all the you know international billionaires are go and uh, tell us how we're going to live our lives. Jim, you well, remember what they said? Remember what they said? They said coming out of Davos in within 20 years, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I sure won't. I mean, I don't like paying for anything now, so that kind of contributes to my unhappiness. <laughs> but once I actually get it, I'm kind of happy. So I'm still in in, in, the, in the minority of uh, I still want to buy stuff. Jim, you're always working on some some great pieces. You, we just went over your uh, your multi-piece set that you had for, for Urban Decay last time you were on the show. What are you working on now and where are some of the places we could find you? I've got a piece that should be coming out on Monday. It's called The Ukraine War Made Me a Hippie. And oh. basically talking about how uh, over the years I've, as a veteran, I've been a war hawk. And now that I'm seeing how 
this war in Ukraine is nothing more than a way to make rich people richer. Um, it's turned me into one of the guys that wants to protest the war and say no blood for oil. So that should hopefully be out on Monday. But most of my writings can be found at the Washington Examiner or the National Pulse. You can find me on Twitter at Jim6555. We'll live link your, your two latest on the show. And then, of course, we're going to be sharing it when that other article comes out. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, how the Ukraine war turned you into a hippie. We had the uh, president of the New, the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin Wax, on with us a little bit earlier. And we got into a conversation about uh, House Representative Matt Gates. He forced that vote on the floor yesterday to pull U.S. troops out of Syria, which is another place where we shouldn't be sticking our noses right now. When you just look at how the geopolitical map is reshaping itself, we see Iran and Saudi Arabia are looking to put differences aside and, and come back to the bargaining table uh, after, you know, a decade of, of feuding with each other. And, and it's just one of those things where uh, a lot of these people who have, have really bought into the nationalist movement and, and could see what this country could do when American greatness is triggered have become Matt Gates and Donald Trump, people like that, uh, Republicans. So, Jim, it was great sitting down with you today on this Friday edition of the show. We'll look forward to having you back soon. I know you're going to be on later in the month. We'll live link everything in the show description today, and uh, you have a great weekend. You do the same. Thanks a lot. Supply chain expert right here, contributor on Steak for Breakfast, Mr. Jim Nels. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Mr. President, are you concerned that rising interest rates will put a damper on this job growth and impact the economy? And you mentioned the Freedom Caucus. Do you have um, any openness to negotiating on any of the issues that they mentioned? <laughs> well, um, first of all, we don't know what the CPI is going to be this week, it's, but it's been down. Interest rates have been down. The, Inflation has been down for many weeks in a row now. Oh. And I said, we're going to see blips going up. Uh, I, but I'm, I feel confident that we're headed in the right direction. Oh. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of talk about what the Fed will do and not do. We'll see. We'll see what the Fed will do. But uh, we'll see what, this, what the CPI is. I guess it's Tuesday or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Next week is coming out. We talked about 28% tax rate. 28% tax rate. Oh, You know, that wacko liberal guy, you know? The idea that that's an un, un, unreasonable amount, but I'll get into that later. And on top of that, uh, the, what they're really focused on, I saw here, we'll, I, I shouldn't get into all this now, oh. is uh, what is kind of surprised me. They, uh, they want to make sure we don't have enough IRS agents. You know those oh. IRS agents we have? Oh. They're going to check on the accounts the super wealthy, which require a lot of accounting, oh. a lot of agents to look at it. Oh. They want to get rid of them. I don't know. We just have a very different value set. You may remember I was running for office at the time, but you all may remember it, that the, I had a big fight with uh, the former president oh. uh, and maybe future president. Bless me, father. Anyway, so that was Joe Biden over the last 24 hours speaking at an event which rolled out his budget and then whispering into the microphone creepy shit like he always does. Alan, you kind of heard him in between the uh, oh. and the whispering. What do you think about the proposed, let's see here, almost seven trillion dollar budget, which is going to add to the total deficit nearly two trillion dollars and uh, blankets the American public with up to two trillion dollars in new taxes? 
Everybody better get a part-time job or a better job. Figure it out. They keep, I mean, they keep putting out those job numbers, which was up. It was proposed to 25,000 jobs, and the jobs numbers actually came out today on Friday. 311,000 were added to the market, and most of them are like, you know, I was listening to Fleckus podcast. Uh, him and Richard Rapoy do uh, the Fleckus podcast every week, and I was listening to it on the way to the show. And uh, Fleckus was talking about how there was like an 80-year-old man who was like almost 10 hours into his shift that was his Uber. <laughs> Uber driver, and this guy should be enjoying retirement right now, but he's out almost, you know, crashing and killing Fleckus on the way to the airport because he can't live off his retirement anymore. We have so many, I, I know so many people out there that have, have retired, have retired and still can't afford the, you know, to, to live because of the price of everything. I mean, and people that can't retire, the price of everything is increasing. It's it's going to get worse. That this is just, it's it's mayhem. And they want you, the American people. They're not going after people making over four hundred thousand and and up. They're not going after them. They're going after everybody. They're going after you doing a Venmo transaction because you're literally making I don't know, uh, baskets in your garage. Once you get up to that $600 mark, they're coming after you yeah. and they want to make fun of Republicans for, for, you know, going after 87,000 IRS agents. But yeah, they're not hiring 87,000 IRS agents at, at a clip, but still we, we don't need them. We know what we need. We need border patrol agents and, you know, let's spend money there. Let's spend money where it counts. And again, I, Kevin McCarthy did say this and it, it, it's, it's a great statement. Uh, Washington has a spending problem. It yep. does not have a revenue problem. Well, I tell you what, you mentioned new border P patrol agents jobs. There's already been some of our great friends out in the uh, Republican House of Representatives that went out and vetted parts of this budget. 80,000 IRS agents, 335 border patrol agent jobs openings that they're going to have. I mean, it, it's, it's fair. <laughs> It's yeah. fair in Biden world. It's fair. I mean, this is complete lunacy. Well, when you look at it, there is a proposed almost 6% increase in pay across the board for all federal workers. So if they are going to be hiring 335 new Border Patrol agents at a higher pay rate, they probably at some point will need to be investigated by the IRS. So one hand washes the other in that. Um, yeah. I saw Ted Cruz jump on with Boomer Sweats, Sean Hannity, last night to talk about some of the numbers within the numbers. I mean, we'll give you the logistics like we just talked about with Jim Nels, but here's some of the uh, biggest virtue signals in the budget as well. Let's hear Lion Ted. A point where two-thirds of the American people are living paycheck to paycheck, and, and literally yes. every American household, the first two years of Biden's presidency, has paid over $10,000 in Biden inflation taxes. Now, people can't afford this type of, of economy that he wants to build. It's never going to work. I'm glad you're right. I, I don't think it's going to pass. I, th I don't think the House will ever pass it. But what does it say about them wanting to pass it? Well, you know, there used to be such a thing as moderate Democrats in, in Congress. They've been driven out. The people setting the agenda, the this Rhino is Bernie Sanders' budget, this is AOC, <laughs> this is Elizabeth Warren. And, and, and let me show you just some amazing stats, um, just on a quick review uh, of, of the budget. All right, here's how many times the following words appear in the budget. Equity, oh. 63 times. Wow. Climate, oh. 148 times. 
environmental justice 25 times, transgender 8 times, intersex, which I have no idea what that is, 7 times. Senator, now you let's compare went, went to, to things Senator, like the American know, None of us know either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's more a Yale thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So but let me give you the other side. You're doing the curtain call. I, I, I hope we don't have to yell people. Think. Go ahead, real quick. We got to break. So things the American people care about. Inflation, only 10 times. Fentanyl, twice. Border security, eight times. Police, four times. Law enforcement, nine times. Crime, 24 times. And gas prices, three times. They tell you who they are. Mm. Good point. They certainly do. And yeah, that's some of those numbers are crazy uh, of the mentions and, and, and things that the Biden administration is looking to appropriate in that budget. And, uh, you know, man, I can't believe uh, Boomer Sweats gave Lion Ted the curtain call there. So, yeah, I wonder if he was forced to do that or, that, or what the story was with that. And please, somebody tell me what the environmental justice is. Oh. And is this going to be another three letter agency like, you know, <laughs> The EJB, the Environmental Justice Bureau, is this going to be something that's going to come out? <laughs> well, everybody keeps saying climate lockdowns are coming, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to see. I mean, I also read a brief op-ed this morning that there are a lot of elements inside of the Biden budget that's kind of swirling into a perfect storm that reinvents and redesigns the already living entity that is the, you know, disinformation board and mm. uh it we're, we're i'm gonna try and look into that over the weekend and maybe talk about it on our tuesday edition of the show um it, it's just another one of the problems here domestically that joe biden is just laying at the laps uh, of the american taxpayer so problems dealing with our government is sometimes the least of our problems because some of the other governments we've been uh, having some issues with over the last you know, a little while here is uh, obviously China and the CCP. We're going to be sitting down with uh, the Heritage Foundation's Jake Denton to talk some tech policy, especially TikTok, uh, in the next uh, few minutes here. But before we get to that, I do want to touch on some of the developments that have come out about Alan. I know you saw it. We've talked about it over the last couple of days, the, uh, the cartel killings of American citizens. And uh, what went down, uh, you know, last week in, in Mexico, I saw over the, the last 24 hours, the president of Mexico, uh, AMLO, has issued a statement saying that he is now going to work as the president of Mexico to help influence U.S. elections and prevent Republicans from being elected to office, especially ones who speak negatively about the government of Mexico and the way they conduct themselves, which is it's essentially a cartel state. The mafia runs right. the country of Mexico 100 percent. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. And uh, I did see that the cartel, they apparently caught the five kidnappers who, who murdered two as two U.S. citizens and injured two others, tied them up and left them with an apology note outside of a Mexican police station uh, close to where the incident happened. I don't mean to laugh because it's horrible, but it reminds me of that South Park episode with the Exxon spill, with the oil spill, and they're, they're going, we're sorry. Yep. Like, <laughs> yep, yep. They keep doing the commercial. And uh, I saw the picture of the guys this morning, and I said, man, this is so not what it seems to be. And, no. uh no. Is it, but it's the world we live in now. And, uh, you know, dealing with this, and this is always what happens. We've pointed it out on the show so many times. The border, probably if you include getaways since Joe Biden took office, we're close to 10 million people have come in unabated to the United States and are just in the wind. That's number one. Uh, record amount of deaths of migrants. 
probably contribute to the spread of COVID all over the country and other third world diseases that are popping up everywhere, like TB, measles, and things that we haven't had to deal with in the United States in decades. Um, you also have how the Biden border crisis has eliminated jobs for middle class families, uh, killed wages because they're hiring these people off the books at half the price. They've yeah. uh, in, in schools where there are a lot of migrants infused into the communities, test scores are way down. You're not meeting any competencies in English, reading, writing and science and math. Because, you know, you have, in addition to our two-tier justice system, a two-tier education system now, one that caters to migrants and their children who are pushed into the schools. And now you have American citizens being affected by this by essentially, well, achieving death. And, uh, you know, we've had Border Patrol agents left and right beat up, assaulted, and murder all this year. Suicide rates within ICE and the Border Patrol are at record highs. Nobody says anything. And then this viral video goes out here and, and it just kind of sets Washington, D.C. off on its ear. Nothing from KGP except word salad this week. Nothing from Joe Biden because he probably doesn't even know what's going on. I did see uh, one of our favorite warmongers on the show, the real life Mr. Garrison, Lindsey Graham, uh, broke from a closed door meeting to talk to the press about it. Let's hear him. Mexico have been terrorizing Americans for decades. We're going to unleash the fury and might of the United States against these cartels. We're going to destroy their business model and their lifestyle because our national security and the security of the United States as a whole depends on us taking decisive action. I have a two-step approach to this, but first I want to just say we've been talking about doing something against the Mexican drug cartels regarding fair and foreign terrorist organization designation for a decade Yep, since 2012. Senator Kennedy and I are going to join forces. We believe Democrats will be involved to label these organizations as foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law. That's the top of the food chain. An FTO designation is the highest designation you can give a criminal terrorist enterprise that's not a nation state. What would it mean? It means that all the precursors coming for China, Chinese chemical companies and Chinese enterprises, would be subject to being prosecuted under U.S. law for providing material support to foreign terrorist organizations, something you can't do today. So we're going to open up the prosecution lane. But I'm a firm believer that the prosecution model as it exists today is not working. True story. So what are we going to do? We're going to up the ante. We're going to designate these groups and others, if appropriate, foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law, changing the game for those who provide assistance to them. What drives this is fentanyl. It's been a game changer. More people died in the United States from fentanyl poisoning than car wrecks and gun violence combined. Fentanyl is becoming the leading cause of death for Americans ages 18 to 45. 200 Americans die every day due to fentanyl overdoses. Fentanyl overdoses cause the equivalent of a new September 11th every two weeks. I think John and I believe that if there were an ISIS or Al-Qaeda cell in Mexico that lobbed a rocket into Texas, we'd wipe them off the planet. They're doing that times thousands. I don't necessarily disagree with him. Listen, it, Lindsey Graham wants his next war. I could probably go just about all in on the Mexican cartels. I mean, 
listen, we've talked about it, Alan, from a $55 million a year enterprise uh, globally uh, during the peak of Trump era policies being enforced uh, during the Trump administration to now last year alone, $13 billion. It's I can't imagine the firepower that they own, but listen, this is all great. We're going to label them terrorist organizations and do all that great stuff. You have the Mexican president, right? Uh, Orbador saying, don't vote Republican because Republicans are corrupt, inhumane, and, and hypocritical because he's being forced to say that by the cartels because that's who's in charge. He's saying fentanyl is a U.S. problem that we don't make it, which we don't. We know is BS. The precursor is coming from China. They're making it in Mexico, and they're bringing it over. And he's, again, he is run and controlled by the cartels. If he came out and supported anything we wanted to do with the drug cartels, he'd probably end up dead or, or at least an attempt on his life. And I don't know what his security is like. I, I, I think if Donald Trump was president, I think we would have started droning cartels a long time ago. And you know what? That's something that needs to, needs to happen. Oh, Mexico, you, you're going to have a problem with it? You're going to get your military involved? No, you're not. You're going to sit down and shut up because this is what we're doing. And unfortunately, he doesn't want that because that'll destroy their economy. Because, I mean, it's... No, you're you're 100% right, and and the only answer we've gotten from DHS uh, over the course of this week since the incident took place was, I did see uh, one of our Congress people uh, put out yesterday that, you know, the president of Mexico said he would campaign against Republicans wanting to label the cartel as terrorist organizations. Meanwhile, House Democrats are asking Secretary Mayorkas to strip away Mexican elected officials' U.S. visas. So, take that for what it's worth, but uh, that's, that's kind of the stuff that, you know, you see the uh, House Republicans working with, and do you do you want to know what the angle is there? It's that these Me- elected Mexican officials are uh, have close ties with Russia, so it's a mm. it's, it's a Ukraine war insight right there. Which you know, we we do know that uh, the United States has complained and tried to stem the amount of Ukrainian and Russian asylum seekers coming in through Mexico. They have a, a pretty easy travel. Uh, some of the governors and uh, people who work in the State Department of Mexico are dual citizens between Mexico and Russia. And mm-hmm. uh, because Russia gave Mexico, I believe, over 3 million vaccines for free over the course of the pandemic, they've allowed this human smuggling operation to operate to where Ukrainian and Russian nationals who are fleeing their respective countries fly into Cancun, fly up to Mexico City, fly up to, you know, a border town and then walk or drive across, you know, claiming asylum and just adding to the disaster that's been going on down on the border. Um, we do got Jake Denton keying up right now and getting ready to jump in the show. Uh, but before that, we're going to hear our last audio clip of the week. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy talked about this situation with the cartel killing of U.S. citizens and the border that's been out of control. Let's hear him. Well, we don't have operational control of our border, and again, this is because of this uh, administration. It's the role of what this president has done. He has turned over our border to these cartels. In Tucson, 71% of everybody who crosses is a single male. And you know what? Everyone who crosses is wearing the same uniform, a camouflaged outfit provided by the Sinaloas. And it's our largest getaways. And they're bringing fentanyl that's the number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 
19 and 45. This is our problem, and we cannot allow it to go on. We just had Americans killed. We've watched what's happening to our streets, and now every city in America is, is a border city. And fentanyl yeah. starts in China. That's where the phone call from the president should go directly to President Xi and said, stop sending the chemicals. And these cartels are making billions of dollars of what's happening by human trafficking. You know, I think Donald Trump's been the only person that's outlined it so far. He's essentially declared that he's going to wipe the cartels off the face of the earth. Uh, when you look at stuff that's happened with Salmani and al-Baghdadi, uh, mm-hmm. people like that, you, you can only say based, based off of past practice Trump-era principles, uh, they would be next on the hit list. Uh, besides that, I haven't heard anybody else really weigh in there except, you know, running around saying fentanyl and running around saying border crisis. So it's like you said, Alan, there's a whole bunch of people talking, but not enough action. Unfortunately, in regards to things of like this, I really don't think Joe Biden would take any. I mean, you had Joe Biden standing at the podium next to AMLO, and he's basically saying, like, this is the best American president in the history of modern politics. The first one that has not stopped anyone from coming in. Because you know Mexico and Canada want to have that, you know, they want to join the one world government, one United States, Canada, Mexico, blob nation. Sure. And uh, the, the, Joe Biden has done the best job that he can with the help of Alejandro Mayorkas and all of the other, you know, senior former Obama administration officials uh, within the Department of Homeland Security to facilitate that. So before we're getting ready to cut... With uh, you, Alan, and jump in with Jake, you want to tell everybody where they could find your show and across social medias? Yeah, just get me on uh, on Twitter is the best, Alan Jacoby1776, and it's A-L-A-N, only way, way to spell Alan. And then just go to my Rumble page, 1776live.tv. You can get my show. We go four nights a week. It's a great listen, to say the least. And uh, the least I could say is thank you for joining us on the show today, Alan. We'll look forward to having you back on the show on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast as Noah's still going to be out of the office for one more show at Advanced Forklift Training, but can't say enough about what you bring to the show when you're uh, one of our favorite, if not, well, technically the only fill-in we have here on Steak for Breakfast. Can't wait to be back. Thanks. All right, joining us here on the show now, he works in tech policy, doing some great things now at the Heritage Foundation. One of our favorite contributors, Mr. Jake Denton. Thanks for coming back on this Friday edition of the show. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. How's everything going with you? I've seen you've been uh, busy making the rounds. I can't turn on the TV without catching a little Jake Denton these days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's been going really well. Uh, you know, everyone wants to talk about TikTok. Now we have another round of the Twitter files coming out. So it seems like uh, it's not slowing down anytime soon. So we're staying real busy. We're going to catch up on the latest with TikTok and how multiple states and, and parts of our federal government are working to possibly ban that and how larger parts of it aren't. But what what's the, what's the most recent you can uh, tell us that's going on right now with, with the Twitter files that just dropped in the last 24 hours here? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Schellenberger and Taibbi uh, just testified in front of Congress. So we uh, we saw them basically roll out what they're calling the censorship industrial complex. I like it. Uh, so this kind of gives you the full scope of the NGOs and the government organizations involved in kind of executing the, the censorship directives that were coming from these, uh, what they were basically calling industry meetings. So uh, you know, they would get Twitter and all these other social media companies together and tell them we have a story coming down the pipeline. Obviously, the example everyone points to is the Hunter Biden laptop story. So they kind of round everybody up and they tell them be on the lookout for these things. And we all know what that really means. It means don't let these things circulate through your uh, social media platform. So, you know, they appeared before Congress and you kind of saw the uh, 
the usual divide here. I think the Democrats realize they're on defense because this is obviously beneficial for them, uh, this censorship enterprise. So they came out swinging. They called them essentially hack journalists yep. and really attacked their character. And then, you know, the right is kind of doing the the only work here and, you know, pointing to the systems, pointing to the uh, the intimate details of kind of this censorship enterprise. Yeah, I think when they both pushed back on, on some of the House Democrats that were trying to dunk on them yesterday, not only stating how many different uh, achievements they've received over the years for their journalistic measures, how many times they've produced things that have wound up on the New York Times bestseller list as well, that kind of put them in their space. And then Jim Jordan kind of reined everybody back in to, to th- this is, I think the biggest pushback, and it's everything from what's going on with the Twitter files release, the, the the next one that just recently came out, in addition to like the stuff that's going on with January 6th, is how comfortable the establishment elites up on Capitol Hill have gotten in collaborating with big tech over the last at least one, probably more than that, decades. And um, the, the fact of the matter is they don't want light shined on this. Is, is that kind of what you see? Because when you, when you look at the receipts, it obviously was going on. You have DHS, the FBI, the, the, the Justice Department, and, and all these you know federal agencies that are supposed to be out there working for the American people, worrying about censoring American people, essentially spying on American people, and, and making everybody's life miserable when it comes to uh, just being a conservative in America today. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit it perfectly. If you just think about the coverage that the Twitter files received, I think it perfectly highlights it, right? I mean, the only outlets that were really covering it were maybe Fox, but primarily independent kind of citizen journalists on Twitter. Uh, you saw a lot of Anons kind of boosting the the stories, but mainstream media really didn't care to shine any light on this. Uh, they wanted it to go away as quickly as possible. I think probably after even like, you know, Twitter files, maybe let's say five to 10, uh, they just stopped covering it even on conservative platforms. We really didn't even see our own people pushing this anymore. And so, um, yeah, at the end of the day, government has basically been emboldened to continue on with these uh, kind of programs, these censorship operations. And, you know, it goes back, as you said, probably well over a decade. There's a great book called uh, Surveillance Valley. It kind of hits right on the uh, the issue of this and how government's been there from the very beginning when it comes to search engines, to, uh, you know, social media platforms. They're always involved. And it's kind of the logical thing to do if you're a, a big government, a big nation. You know, every country does this. But I think, you know, it, it obviously got off course. It's gone from you know, a national security kind of defense operation to a social credit system that's kind of been built behind our backs and it's policing us. You saw on the, uh, one of those Twitter file drops of the interface they made, you know, this person's not allowed to be on the trending page. This person's not allowed to be on uh, the main feed. And that's where happening across the board. This isn't just happening on Twitter. It's happening on Google. You know, this person's not allowed on search. And it just is going to continue to snowball until people step in here. Sure. And, it, you know, it's good that the government, the House Republicans right now, hopefully we grab a majority in the 2024 election up in the Senate. Uh, I don't know how productive that would be with Mitch McConnell leading it. But at least when you see people appointed to some of these oversight committees at the Senate level, if we could take back them, uh, the majority in the next election, maybe we'll get some progress into getting bills pass that will make it to Donald Trump's desk because you know he's all about that if he can retake the White House in 2024 as well. I do want to switch gears. I mean, TikTok is still something that's dominating the news cycle as as 
a major concern for so many different reasons uh, in regards to our national security and private citizens' data here in the United States. I've seen you've been making the rounds and uh, trying to lay it all out there for everybody. Uh, we also had, I don't know if you've uh, had a chance ever to talk with him, Austin Knutson. He's the Attorney General of Montana. They've actually gotten a bill out of committee, and it is going to be debated on the floor in the next week or so, which would be the first statewide ban of TikTok across the board, not just on government devices. He's the first in the country to do it. He's leading the charge in this. What can you tell us on where we're going with, uh, you know, we've just had the committee on, on how big of a problem China is roll out here in the last week on where we're at with the TikTok narrative right now. Yeah. So, you know, everyone sees us go on TV and do these kind of press hits saying, you know, we need to ban TikTok. But behind the scenes, we're also working at the federal and state level on all these pieces of legislation. We're giving them the support they need and a research capacity across the country to make sure that, you know, the American people are getting the best piece of legislation possible that will really protect them. Um, you know, I think it's obvious now that it has to be banned, right? We even are seeing the Democrat governor step forward. I think most notably this week, we saw Gretchen Whitmer yep. roll out her ban that notably left out uh, banning the governor from using TikTok. <laughs> she wants to maintain access to her own account and continue to do these dancing videos like she's a 14-year-old girl. But at the end of the day, everyone now understands this is a consensus issue at this point. It's a national security threat. And even more importantly, honestly, it's a huge threat to our kids' mental health. We're seeing kids kill themselves because of what they're sure. seeing on TikTok, what they're being fed. And so there's not a single redeeming aspect of this application. And there's really no case other than the left being able to maintain their uh, Gen Z voter machine through the app uh, to keep this thing. So we're moving forward. We're going to push and push until this thing is banned um, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, just the data collection is one component. The ones with all of the kids coming out of the pandemic and how reliant they became on social media. And the fact of the matter is now it's pushing kids in bad directions all the way and leading up to things like suicide is just something that we can't really you know, allow to continue to manifest into something even bigger because I, I just, like you said, there's no real benefits we have. There's so many other apps. So for the most part, they're all garbage. Uh, you know, when it comes to like social media, for the most overwhelming parts of it, you know, you get your news and, and sources from some, but most of it, it's just people, like you said, on TikTok doing stupid dances, creating trends and, and kind of just, uh, you know, mushing up little kids' brains. One of the biggest things that concerns me with this is the Biden regime's stance on TikTok and their kind of unintrusiveness into weighing in on the matter at all. I did see yesterday Biden's Commerce Secretary, Gina uh, Raimondo, she came out and talked about not only TikTok, but just like in, uh, an entire you know, narrative that kind of said, well, this administration doesn't want to kind of unhitch itself from everything with China and the CCP. Let's hear it. The United, I want to be also clear, though. The United States does not seek to decouple from China. Uh, nor does it seek a technological decoupling from China. What we seek to do is ensure that certain technologies, where the United States is ahead and where China's explicit strategy is to have these technologies and, uh, and deploy them in the Chinese military apparatus, those are technologies that we have uh, used export controls to ban the sale of to China. So we enjoy tr trade with China. The vast majority of trade with China uh, is in benign products, and that will and should continue. So this isn't about decoupling. Jake, when you hear her say that, 
And you combine that with the fact that uh, President, now Emperor Xi, was reappointed for his third five-year term uh, just in the last 24 hours here. And then how that narrative that she's stating is a direct opposite of what's going on with uh, the House majority of Republicans. And then some Republicans in the Senate who have major concerns about what's going on with China as well. How, how kind of does that make you feel in regards to the prospectus looking out now, uh, you know, in the next couple months to years here in, in combating China when the current administration has that kind of a stance on it? Yeah, I think it's important to set the stage here, right? All the Republicans and a lot of the Democrats, even, you know, most notably Senator Mark Warner, who have come forward and said, you know, we need to ban this application for the sake of national security. Uh, they all share the same information from the Commerce Secretary down to that uh, House Republican or House Democrat who's saying this. All of those briefings are available to the, the full extent of our government. And they're coming to very different conclusions, right? I mean, if you look at the the White House and kind of the admin, they're hellbent on holding on to this thing as long as possible. And I think it's uh, basically all tied back to their desire to maintain this uh, Gen Z outreach machine. They want to be able to communicate with young voters. You know, Raheem Kassam obviously put on his Substack this week. I uh, was doing the rounds that, you know, the Commerce Secretary says we'll never win another uh, vote of a, a person under the age of 30 yep. if we were to ban TikTok. And that is what they're thinking, right? This is the, the rationale they're using to approach these issues. It's not, is this in the best interest of the American people? Is this going to keep our country safe? It's how can we hold on to power as long as possible. And it's through these applications. So when we look at the full extent of the tech sector, where Chinese infiltration is taking a stride and things are getting very bad very quickly, uh, we're not in good hands, right? I mean, the, our leadership just doesn't seem to care from the governor's mansions across the country to the White House. They're just leaving us out to dry. It's uh, it's really a, a sad sight and it uh, doesn't pose a very optimistic future for us. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things they're going to keep downplaying it is not a big deal until it's a major deal. And, and the fact of the matter is there's so many people right now, you know, who are speculating that we could be in, in a hot war with China at, at some point in the next two years. And we don't want to start to regulate them in places where it hurts like things with TikTok, we, we could all kind of get on board and agree with that right now that it would it would be a big hit to them to just lose access to the United States to, completely if we just decided to ban it and it, it kind of just puts us in you know it, it's a very good example of how this administration has worked and uh moving forward we hope people like you continue to work hard behind the scenes and uh you know urge our congress people and our lawmakers to uh do the right thing so jake we're going to live link the heritage foundation in the show description today social medias where can we find you yeah on twitter at real j denton the letter j uh, I'm going to be posting all of our media clips in the run-up to the TikTok hearing. It's going to be full speed ahead. We're also going to have an event coming up here in D.C. Uh, surrounding the TikTok hearing, so keep an eye out for that. I'll be posting more details. Some very notable special guests will be joining us in the, uh, the nation's capital for this thing, so you won't want to miss that. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're going to keep pushing, and we're going to try and make things as good as possible with what we've got. Oh, that's awesome, and uh, we'll be looking forward to having you back on the show soon. This is one of the policy experts from the Heritage Foundation, great friend, contributor here on Steak for Breakfast, Mr. Jake Denton. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. Not a bad way to end the week. Sure wish the rest of the pod team was assembled, but uh, Alan Jacoby did quite the job of co-hosting with us here on Steak for Breakfast. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode of the show and you want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Pod Addict, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. 
subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all our amazing guests today, everyone who helped make steaks great again. President of the New York Young Republicans Club, Mr. Gavin Wax, supply chain expert, Mr. Jim Nels, and Heritage Foundation policy expert, Jake Denton. Thanks for taking time out of your guys' busy schedule to come down and share your commentary with us. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners. When you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again, namely MyPillow. Must say, the MyPillow version 2.0 is indeed better than the original. If you want the buy one, get one free option, you enter promo code STAKE at checkout. If you're more of a morning person and want the coffee, and a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash STAKE. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear from the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. They are now endorsed by none other than Mr. Raheem Kassam himself, who got his custom pair this week. If you're in the studio, you're doing podcasts, you want to make the investment, get those ear needs taken care of and done up right. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. If you like meat and you like flavor, and a promo code steak at manrubs.com, you'll get 15% off your total order. Don't make it nasty. Cook it right. Manrubs.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan, who co-hosted with us today, he is the CEO of My Patriot Cigars. You get a promo code STAKE here. You're getting 15% off your total order. Any order over 100 bucks, free shipping. $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Premium Beef Jerky. You get a promo code STAKE here. You're going to get $5 off your total order of their vast selection. You find enough jerky... Order a 12-pack, you're going to get free shipping as well. Check out all the great stuff they've got going on at FarmerBillsProvisions.com. The upcoming shows, we'll be back on Tuesday. Trump 2024 attorney Christina Bob will be here to do some of the news with us. Official spokeswoman for the Trump 2024 campaign, Ms. Liz Harrington, will be here as well. And we're going to have a conversation with none other than Newsweek opinion writer Josh Hammer. Devin Nunes is scheduled for the 17th. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, will be here on the 21st. In addition to him, we're going to have Double Ambassador. Former Trump Ambassador to Iceland, Jeffrey Ross Gunter, will be here. And we'll be circling back with one of our favorites, Ambassador Rick Grinnell, as well. Jim Nels is coming back, and he'll be joined by Mike Collins on the 24th. Congressman Max Miller will be here on the 28th, as will Boris. And we're still always a working project with our schedule. Friends of the week, got my big list here. Can't forget our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew. Siberian Kitten, Beastie Man 420, CSM Master. They love their Minecraft. Some call me Tim79 is always Sharon. Thomas Bama's been pretty active on there as well. Some of our other internet friends. Ghost Hammer, we love you. William S. Spoopy. Johnny Maga was coming in hot this week too. And then we can't forget, never forget, our meme team. Ultra Maga Party, Let's Go Brenda, Breadline Bernicus, The Duke of Memes, Rumble Rants, C3P Meme, Madam America, Steven Voiceover, My Willow Memes, Mostly Peaceful Memes, John Hacker LA, Grand Old Memes, and Who White Memes. You should be following all of those accounts in addition to all of ours as well. 
Guys, things to remember between now and next week. Number one, do your own research. Let's go break down the Biden budget. See what the guts of it really look like. Do you want to hear the uh, word transgender rights? Said a whole hell of a lot more than border security. You got to go break it down. Number two, start a podcast. Pretty easy today. No, just a couple flags. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We've got large majority of the Trump team coming in here on Tuesday, so we'll be for sure talking about American greatness then. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 220 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back episode 221 on Tuesday. Christina Bob, Liz Harrington, and Josh Hammer will all be joining us. On behalf of the pod team, although I'm the only one here, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. What happened? There was no picnic, but those boys are work animals. Well, everything looks pretty well under control. It does? Well, not to the layman's eyes, of course. They completely ripped up our house! They sure as hell did, didn't they? They really ripped the guts out of it. They're work animals, I'm telling you. Look at those holes, huh? Then you got your gravel piles, your sand piles, your scrap piles. Animals!